All right, everyone. The Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Shed Light Cold Lasers. And Shed Light Cold Lasers has been a game changer for us at HML professionally and personally at home. Personally, on a, on a personal note, I had a very bad bout of vertigo. And I got probably 85% there by going to a few different functional neurologists over the years to help me out with it. Then I bought this. And this is a game changer because one, it's portable. That means I can take it to the office, use it on patients all day, make sure it stays charged, come on home, and then throw it in my pocket and use that home. And this is what cleared up my vertigo. Now, professionally, the way it's game, it's uh, been the game changer for us in the office is that it has cut our results down by 50%. This can get used on just about anything, any disease disorder that you can think of, it can pretty much get used on. Now, as far as how it has helped us out, it's cut everything down by 50% on our times. So when we're working with our kids with special needs, uh, when we're working with our chronic neurological disorders, autoimmune diseases, to get those people into a good point that they're happy and that we're happy, times have been cut by 50%. You will definitely want to go check out shedlightcoldlasers.com or email Griswold at shedlightinformation at gmail.com, 518-338-6658. Well, all right, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Alex Show. And I am going to talk about neurodevelopment 101 today. So I like to talk about this because it is the most common thing that we talk about in office. So when a patient comes into our office, uh, particularly a child, and we're working on a neurodevelopmental disorder, we're going to um, do first a consultation. To be a patient in our, in our office, it's taken very seriously in terms of um, getting into the doors. Uh, just a little background, what we like to do is People will call in or reach out online, and then we usually do a complimentary consultation. So we want to talk to the parents, we want to talk to the child, preferably see the child, and then get to know them. Spend a half hour or so with them, see what what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, what the diagnosis is, what you've been through, and really get to know the person as much as we can and that helps us see if the family is ready to uh, move forward because our our care plans can be pretty extensive and we want to make sure that they're ready to take on not only the time investment the money investment but there's going to be things that might have to change at home lifestyle changes such as diet uh, they might have to get supplements into the child they might have to do exercises at home they might have to change how they travel what they do we might have to ask them to you know, buy a whole house water filtration system or something like that. And we just want to make sure that people are ready because if they're not ready, then we don't want to be spinning any wheels. So after we do the consult, then what we're going to move into is they're going to actually do paperwork. So we send them home with paperwork and we're kind of infamous for our paperwork. And the big packet of paperwork will first get filled out and then turn back in and I say that you can fax it in, scan it, email it, snail mail it, carry it on a pigeon. We don't care. And then at that point, Dr. Lauren and I are going to go over it and we're going to review it. 
And what we're doing there is we're getting to know the child uh, before they even come in the door for the exam. So we're going to know them pretty well in and out. We're going to get a full history uh, before we even get out our stethoscope and see what's going on. So when we do that, um, they will then come into the exam and run the exam. And then that day we go over the results. So we aren't going to delay going over the results. Um, whether you come in from out of town, because uh, we are blessed to say that we have a lot of patients coming in from out of town, which is great. Um, or if you're in town, we will go over those results that day. And when we do that, we're going to go into what we're going to talk about now, which is neurodevelopment 101, as I like to say. So neurodevelopment uh, starts with, uh, well, conception, but let's talk about what happens at, at birth. And development is first starting with motor function. Uh, motor function builds the brain. And we want to get that motor function built up first by these things called primitive reflexes. So the brain develops quite literally uh, from the bottom up, from back to front, and then specifically right to left. So these primitive reflexes live in an area in the brain called the brainstem, the very bottom part of the brain. So when we're working at getting someone's neurodevelopment up, we're going to first address these primitive reflexes. Depending on what you read, there's 26 to 30 of them. Um, however, about 8 to 10 of them really wreak havoc on development because these reflexes show up at conception or birth, and then they're supposed to be gone by the age of 1. There's one of them that needs to be gone by age 3.5. But either way, they're supposed to show up help start the um, uh, motor function development process, and then they're supposed to go away. What happens with children with neurodevelopmental disorders, such as autism, dyslexia, ADHD, kids with genetic issues, such as Down syndrome even, these children, nine times out of 10, um, at least the children that come in our office, have these retained primitive reflexes. So this is the first thing that has to go away, and this is what we will uh, have the parents work on at home or what we will uh, initially start working on in office. So when it comes to uh, neurodevelopment, think of it like a tree, and at the base of that tree are the roots, and the primitive reflexes are the roots, and that's what we're going to first work on. So we're going to go right at the source and go bottom up. Now, at the same time, when a child comes in, within each session, we're going to be working on all of their weaknesses. We're going to be addressing everything. But we'll do it um, in order of development. So when they first come in, we might be working on primitive reflexes, and then the next thing that gets uh, developed is our core or gross motor skills. And our core and gross motor skills are such a important and sometimes overlooked aspect when it comes to getting a child to uh, improve their brain function. Uh, because I say that because it can get looked at, it can get addressed, and then at that point the practitioner says, oh, your core strength is up and we're good. 
and then they move on. However, it does not continue to be addressed, and then the child's muscle tone, their, their strength, goes down. It's the same thing that happens if you go to a gym and you start working out, you get strong, and then life happens. Uh, you can no longer get in the gym for various reasons. And then from there, your, your strength goes down. Same thing with a child, especially a child with needs. So core work is all, all, always, always getting addressed. Uh, every once in a while, we have kids that come in that are just rock stars, um, just natural athletes, and that's all another topic. But um, well over nine times out of ten, we're working on that core strength. So that will be getting addressed alongside primitive reflexes. And think of the core strength as the trunk of the tree or the base of the tree. And then moving up uh, is going to be not so much motor. And it's not to get technical, but it depends on what you read and who you listen to. But um, it's hard to say what kind of comes next, uh, whether it's something called uh, sensory processing or proprioception. Uh, either way, we'll just go with proprioception. So the next thing in development, if you think about how a child develops, they're going to start moving around, do a bunch of goofy little movements that a baby and an infant does. Then as a toddler, they'll start to use their muscles more volitionally and uh, a lot more smooth action is going to be used with whatever they're doing. Then when they start to get upright, they need to start developing their proprioceptive systems. And proprioception is your body's unconscious awareness of uh, where the body is. I'm sorry. It is the brain's unconscious awareness of where the body is. So that does not involve the inner ear system, your vestibular system. We'll get to that. But it involves all of the receptors that are all over your body, especially your feet, telling your brain where that body is. What... Someone really smart back in the day said, Thomas Edison, is that the job of the body is to carry the brain around. And I mean, he said that before I think neuroscientists were even on to the fact that it's motor function that builds the brain. Um, it just goes to show how smart that guy was. And, and he didn't really have much to do with healthcare, which is incredible. So when we start developing proprioception, we're going up that trunk of the tree and when we work on it in an office, we're doing balance and coordination skills and whatever needs to be done there. Then the next thing to develop, and this is a big one, is sensory processing. So when it comes to sensory processing, I like to lump things together to make it simple. Now, because motor function builds the brain and the brain starts firing and the child's moving around, and let's say they're doing purposeful movement, the brain is starting to fire a lot more, and it's going to start uh, processing sensation. So it's broken down into two things. Um, first, a sensory input has to go into the brain. So your, the, the light, the sound, touch, you can even count proprioception, smell, and all of that has to first go into the brain then the second step is to get it processed. Now, it happens to be that the vast majority of our sensory input gets processed on the back part of our right brain, which is also why it is the right brain that develops first. And that's why we said the brain develops from bottom up, back to front, right to left. 
Now, sensory processing is big because what I like to equate it to is a bucket. If you walk around all day as a child, you go to school, you have lunch at school, all the other kids are at school, there's light, there's sound, you have to pay attention, you're constantly asked to do things that you might not always like to do, then you have to go home, and then when you go home, all you want to do is sit around or play, or nowadays get on screens, which we'll have to go over in a whole other show. Um, but then you might be asked to go to soccer practice. You might be asked to go to baseball practice. Uh, you might have to go to your sister's dance recital, whatever it is. And with children with needs, their bucket of sensory processing is pretty much like one gallon. And when we work on sensory processing, we want to get that bucket increased to more like three, four, five gallons, if you will. So that way they can go home and they can handle all of that input and then you don't have a child that melts down. And this is huge because the vast majority of neurodevelopmental disorders involves a behavioral component such as emotional ability and meltdowns that can be very disruptive in the household. So we want to get that sensory processing capability to go up. And we'll talk about that, how we kind of do it all in office here at the end. But it involves all of your sensory input to get processed and sort it out and it's increasing that buckets capabilities is what we want to do now tree wise we're up the trunk of the tree and at this point we are getting to the point to where we start having our main branches come off and this is where we have fine motor skills and when it comes to fine motor skills a lot of people think uh hand and eye coordination and what i'm going to lump in there is um, how you move your mouth, uh, including uh, verbal skills. Uh, for instance, children with autism, it's a big deal if they are nonverbal and you can get them to talk. And some of the smallest muscles uh, to get controlled and coordinated are in our mouth, our hands, and our eyes. So I like to lump all those together, just for simplicity. So when we're working on fine motor, if a child comes in let's say they're nonverbal. Most of the time, we have to actually go back down their tree. We have to go to the trunk or the roots of the tree to address those weaknesses. We have to address any primitive reflexes. We have to address the trunk of the tree first uh, before we can even go into um, working on verbalization skills or maybe recommending sending them to a speech path because if they don't have the foundation of their development made, it, we might be throwing wet noodles against the wall. Or they'll do well, but then it may not stick, at least in our experience. So what we want to do is oftentimes we find ourselves at HML and other practitioners is we don't even address uh, a child's ability to talk directly. We're working on other things in the brain. We're working on other things that have to develop first, like gross and core motor skills. Um, that way the child can um, get stronger and the brain develops. And then when that brain starts developing in a proper order, then they start verbalizing. And we didn't even do anything to help that out, which is just amazing. Now, it doesn't mean that when we get the child stronger and they're moving around better and they have higher functioning and they're starting to talk a little bit, uh, it doesn't mean that at that point they can't go see a speech path uh, by all means. Uh, but First, uh, first and foremost, we want to address what's going on underneath all of that. Um, otherwise, 
the child may only get so far. So uh, the other part of fine motor skills are what we do with our hands. Um, some kids can be uh, very dyspraxic, um, and they have a very fine, they have very poor fine motor skills. So again, we may not be addressing um, how to use their hands in a good volitional basis. We might be going back down that tree. I mean, it really goes back down to primitive reflexes, core and gross motor skills, making sure sensory processing is working. Because we find if we address all of that, these fine motor skills will start to improve. Now, if we have to, we will. Um, absolutely. And that's a lot easier to do than speech. Um, that's why in the world of occupational therapy, there is a profession, a professional called a speech language pathologist, because it's very complex. And um, that's why there's actually a subset specialty of it. Um, so we're getting someone's fine motor skills to come online can be a little easier than, than, than speech. And we find ourselves um, being able to work very well with that. The next fine motor um, component that gets worked on um, kind of needs a whole show in of itself is eye function. Um, but your eyes are one of the most complex things. I know that when I was taking courses, they said that the math that goes behind how your eyes work is more complex than shooting a rocket into space. So when we uh, work on our eyes, it, think of your eye function as a whole nother developmental tree. However, to be able to get a child to use their eyes appropriately, to be able to read, to be able to have proper hand-eye coordination, again, we're going back down that tree. We're going to work on the primitive reflexes. We're going to work on the gross motor skills. We might have to work on their um, hands first. Then we can start working on their eyes. Or we have to work on the lower functions of our eyes. Um, for instance, when it comes to eye function and something that we address every single day in office is your ability to do what is called a VOR or vestibular ocular reflex. So imagine you're turning your head back and forth and right now I'm looking into one camera now I'm looking into another camera and I'm turning my head back and forth and my eyes are staying on the camera. And if you're doing that at home, find something in front of you to look at, turn your head back and forth and keep your eyes on that object. That right there is the second or third step in ocular motor development. And your ability to do that um, is fully dependent on those steps before it. But then your ability to read, your ability to have good hand-eye coordination after that is all dependent on your ability to do this VOR. And though that might be something that we start working on right away with the child. Um, again, hand, I'm sorry, eye coordination uh, is a whole nother show and it, does, and it deserves a whole nother tree um, in of itself. But it, we like to lump it into our fine motor skills. So tree-wise, we're up to the point on the tree where we're making some branches. And this is where we have our branches sprouting, where we have our leaves growing. And this is what makes a tree awesome. This is what makes a tree beautiful. This is what makes our kids what we want them to be. And this is where we have what I call the big four um, that we all want out of our kids. We all want our kids to have 
proper emotional control and responses. We want them to have healthy social skills. We want them to have proper cognition and academic skills. And then we all want them to have great physical abilities, the, the big four things that we want out of our kids. Now, you can lump um, spiritual aspects into there as well, having that understanding if, if that is your belief. Um, but for the most part, we want those big four. And when kids come in to see functional neurologists, uh, a, lot of, a lot of times, especially us at, at HML, we aren't working on that. We're not working on, let's get a kid to calm down. Let's get a kid to learn how to say hi. Let's get a kid to be able to sit down and learn the times tables, uh, multiplication tables. We're not doing any of that. Even though that is the end goal, those are the leaves of the trees. And we can't make that tree beautiful by sitting there and sprinkling fertilizer on the leaves. It's not going to work. So we want to go all the way back down to those roots and find any weaknesses that are going to prevent that tree from growing, developing, and looking beautiful and functioning because a tree's got a purpose as well. So when we're doing all of that, the key with this and what makes functional neurologists unique and different, and especially the work that Dr. Lauren and I do, is we address all of that all at the same time to get the most out of the child. Now, this isn't a uh, show about, you know, who's better at doing what or anything like that. Um, so what I'm about to say is just what typically happens. And typically when a child with needs goes and sees, let's say, a physical therapist, um, a, the most common example is a child with autism. They're going to go see a physical therapist to work on gross motor skills because that's what uh, physical therapists work on. They're going to work on gross motor skills. They're going to work on core strength. They'll work on some balance work. And that's typically where the physical therapist um, ends with their work. And that's because it truly does take a village to raise these people. Um, there's a lot of specialists out there for these children for a reason. Um, but that's only one piece to the story. So then oftentimes the parents have to go and they have to get the referral and go see the occupational therapist to work on things like sensory integration uh, or what I just said, sensory processing skills. They have to work on fine motor skills like hand and eye coordination. Then at the same time, they might have to get a referral and go see the vision therapist. Then the vision therapist isn't working on vision. Uh, vision therapy is kind of a misnomer. Um, it's not getting your visual acuity to work, um, your ability to see um, statically, it is your ability to move your eyes properly. It's, your, it's getting the child's uh, developmental tree for their eyes to go up. Then, because we want to work on behavior and other things with that child, then you'll probably get a referral to go see a behavioral therapist or a psychologist, or a licensed counselor who specializes in kids with needs. So at that point, the family's seeing three, four, or five specialists, and everything is getting, getting worked on. Um, and even in those situations, um, children will come into our office, and there's going to be holes within that developmental tree that, that were not addressed. A lot of it was worked on, but to get the child to that next level to get them to have the better emotional control that you want, the 
ability to sit still in church, the ability to say hi and recognize grandma and grandpa um, is going to be thoroughly looking over all of those steps. And one of those things that I didn't mention that the specialists do is sometimes they don't address those primitive reflexes and it is huge. So when they come in and although the child's been through a lot and the parents want answers right away and they want to just get the ball going and um, get all that they can out of them, we have to first start with all of that paperwork and all of that history and then that huge exam and then evaluating it and letting them know where what we call the holes are. And it's simply because uh, working with kids with needs can be super complex. But as a functional neurologist, we found that if we can work at some of these holes, if you will, and get 90 or more percent of it, uh, we can have just fantastic results. Um, and then when we're done with working with a child, and let's say we do need to still work on some social skills or emotional skills, then that's the time to go see a, let's say, behavioral therapist or a licensed counselor. Because if you start with those um, therapists, in the therapy world, um, that's a concept called top-down therapy. Those therapists are generally going to be working on those functions. They're going to be working on the leaves. They're working on the cognition, the emotional, the social aspects, and they're going to try to address it through behavioral intervention or suggestions or training or uh, therapeutic interventions to get the child to do what it is, whatever it is we want them to do, like sit still in public so we can go grocery shopping without having major interruptions. However, if you do that too soon, the child may only get so far or not far at all, and that's because there's a whole rest of the tree under you that has to get developed. However, when we're done with them, uh, being that that is not our specialty, uh, we oftentimes say, now it's time. Now it's time to go see that behavioral therapist, go see the occupational therapist, clean this up, clean that up, go to the counselor, work out a few things with mom and dad as a family, work out anger issues, whatever it might be. But we want to do that near the end or at the end because we want that brain developed. Otherwise, you're, you may only get so far. Now, uh, lastly, when we're working with all these kids and we're doing all of this, I said, we're doing all of this at, at one time. When the child comes in, we're going to work on primitive reflexes. We're going to work on core strength and gross motor skills. We're going to work on fine motor skills. We're going to work on proprioception and balance and coordination. We're going to work on sensory processing. Um, we're going to work on all of those neurological functions, sensory or motor. However, every child is different. And what makes every child's plan unique and what we do as functional neurologists is the child with autism who had already seen all the specialists, they come in. And let's say they have active reflexes. There are specific exercises out there that we could send you home with to do. And they're kind of goofy looking exercises um, because the exercises are mimicking toddler motions that toddlers are supposed to do to help um, develop that motor function. So 
let's say we send them home with them. And sometimes practitioners do, but then they don't go away. But what makes functional neurology unique is we can test those reflexes and we can see how severe they are. Let's say it's a, it's a scale of uh, zero to plus four, four meaning bad. And let's say it's a four. We're looking at a very common one called the Moreau reflex, and it's a, it's a four. And we want it to go away. And then we have the child do the traditional exercises that help that. And then we test again. And if that exercise did anything, it will improve that finding right there in office, right in front of our eyes. If it doesn't, then it's, then it's not the exercise for them. And that means that we as uh, doctors have to go fishing, as I say, or we have to go digging and see what it is that that family could do at home to get that reflex to go away. Or what it is that we have to do in office to get that reflex to go away. Or let's say we're testing core strength. Uh, sometimes just doing core exercises doesn't necessarily get the best result, but maybe doing core exercises with added sensory input gets a better result. Core exercises on a vibration plate vibrating at a specific frequency helps with getting your core strength up. Or doing core strength on, let's say, a exercise ball because they need uh, a challenge with their stability as opposed to just doing core work on the floor. Um, we want to see instantly, does that test look better after that therapeutic intervention or what we call the therapeutic trial? Then we know exactly what that child is going to be doing in office and at home. So every plan is, is unique to the child. Uh, one child with autism comes in, they could be nonverbal, and that plan could look drastically different than the child that is the same age, nonverbal, and they could have even started care at the same time. Totally different plans because their brains are different. And that's why functional neurology came out. Uh, it came around because the research was showing that brains are very changeable, moldable, what's called plastic. And everyone's brains are different. So we want to be able to meet that brain where it's at. And that's where this system, this really awesome clinical system came about. See what's wrong. Do something to see if it helps. If it helps, awesome. You know you're going to make a lifelong change. If it doesn't, you got to go digging. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that. But that's what uh, we want to do when a child comes in our office. And at the end of all of this, if you hang with me, at the end of all of this, we're going to go over all of these results with the family. And we're going to say the roots need work, the trunk needs work, the middle of the trunk needs work, uh, where we're sprouting branches needs work, and then we all know that the leaves need work. And we're not here to pick on kids. We're not here to point out their weaknesses. It is always, always, always about finding their potential. Um, we're not here to say, oh, yeah, your child just, they're clumsy, they're weak, they have fine motor, they have poor fine motor skills, they don't know how to talk. That's not what it is. We know it's like that. 
But what's important in our examination is we have something, we did some trials right there that day that we found changes that we know are going to make changes for the long run to help that child function at a higher level. And does that mean your child is going to get off the spectrum? No. Has it happened before? Yes. Is that a huge claim? Yes. Does it happen? Yes. Every time? No. But awesome things can happen. Now, when I'm going over these results, uh, you'll see me in the room and I'm just getting excited. I'm like, this is going to be great because we're finding stuff that's changing all of it. I'm excited. I'm a kid in a candy store and it's after hours and there's no one watching me. I'm getting ready to eat until I can't move. So let's get started. But lastly, what's important about all of this is being that we're talking about development and developmental disorders, think of development like having a brain age and a chronological age. So let's say we have that child who came in with autism, he's 10 years old, and he might be functioning at a four-year-old's level. Let's say he's nonverbal too. He might be functioning at a four-year-old's level. Does that mean that he's stuck at four? No, because I just said that really awesome things can change, and they have. And some kids do astoundingly well, uh, almost unexplicable, and then some kids do well, and the parents are happy, and then some kids don't do as well. And it's those kids that don't do as well that are always on my list and I'm always thinking about. But let's say that child comes in and they are at that four-year-old level. And what I tell parents is we're not here again to um, point out all the weaknesses. What we want to do is say, Due to all of our data, your child's ability, how they move their body, how they use fine motor skills, how they interact, there's a lot of normative data with all of this. Some, some stuff, there is no normative data. And being fully honest, there's, there's not normative data for some neurological functions, motor and sensory. Otherwise, there is a lot of normative data. And there's data for all ages. So we can look at gross motor skills and fine motor skills, and we can say, he's 10, but he's got the skills, unfortunately, of a three-year-old. And he might be 10, but he's got some cognitive abilities of a 15-year-old. And for the parents that have children with autism, you know what I'm talking about. They have just immensely huge um, left brain strengths when it comes to cognition, verbal or nonverbal. Um, but then we might say they have poor balance and they don't really, uh, have great ocular motor skills and their sensory processing abilities are very, very, very low because of all of that. So they're averaging right at a four year old's age and that's our starting point. And that's where I say we have a six year gap to catch up because most of the time, if we're working on a child that does not have a genetic issue, we can catch up a lot of this stuff. And we have six years to work on, and within a certain time frame, we might be able to close in a year. After another certain time frame, close in on another year. Now we're at six years old. 
Now we need to reevaluate. Okay, we're at six and we're doing this, this, and this. Now we need to change up the program to do this. Close in on another year. Close in on another year. And then close in even more. And then when we close in to two years or less, that's where the research shows that you're going to have a child that looks quote-unquote neurotypical. Because to have a uh, what is called, which we haven't talked about, sorry, to have what is called a functional disconnection, a uh, disconnection between right and left halves of the brain, because most of the time, which we haven't gone into yet, these children's brains have a vast skills difference between the left and the right halves of their brains. And it is partly because of that why they might have this six-year gap. So when we work on the brain, typically at our office and other functional neurologists' office, we're working on the weaker half. So we're going to take that weak half of the brain and close that chronological gap. And when we close that chronological gap, sorry, we can start getting rid of symptoms because that research shows if it's if there's a two-year difference or more you're going to have that what's called disconnection and you're going to have symptoms so we want to close that gap recap brain develops from bottom up back to front right to left these processes primitive reflexes core skills proprioception, sensory processing fine motor skills it's not that they don't all develop at the same time because they do It is what is developing the most. When a child is six months old, they are working on getting those reflexes activated, and then some reflexes need to go away. And then when they're one, they're working on getting core strength and proprioception abilities to stand up. And then when they're four, they're really working on talking. And then when they're six, that's actually when brain waves really start changing, and then they're thinking. So it's not that none of this stuff is happening just one at a time. It's that what is happening most importantly at that time frame. And when we work on kids, we're going to work on everything that's weak. That's what makes functional neurology unique, along with figuring out a treatment plan plan that is fully customizable to that kid's needs or adults. Um, And then that might involve doing stuff at home and supplements and running tests as well, which I hope to go into in the future. So going over a couple things, as parents or grandparents or family members of loved ones that have particularly children with needs, what are some things you should ask your healthcare provider if you can't get a hold of us or if you can't find a good functional neurologist? By the way, not a sponsor, go to iafner.org, I-A-F-N-R.org to help find you one. Um, There are international listings that you can find a good doctor with uh, training from some of the best people in the world that uh, Dr. Lauren and I have personally learned from. Uh, Questions to ask. Uh, One of them is, are you going, what are you going to be addressing? And if they say, I'm going to address this, this, and this, there's nothing wrong with that, but it means that they as a practitioner has have pigeonholed themselves into a specialty and they may not be looking at everything. If they say, we're going to run a thorough exam and we're going to run some labs and then we're going to go over the results, that means 
hopefully that practitioner is looking at everything from that bottom of the roots, the tree up. You want to make sure that they're going to be looking at everything. If they're only going to be looking at a couple things, then be expecting the need to go to another specialist, unfortunately. Fortunately or unfortunately, however you uh, want to look at it. The next thing to ask that practitioner is when the child comes in, um, who is going to be working with the child? And how are you going to determine what that child needs? I am very biased when it comes to functional neurologists. So if they say we're going to run them through our core and gross motor skills protocol, that may or may not be your child's answer. If they said we're going to test them, then we're going to run some therapeutic trials. And what I said earlier is therapeutic trials could happen that day of the exam or honestly, uh, therapeutic trials could happen over the course of time. Uh, sometimes we have children that we can't tell what's going to happen and we might need two or three visits to really figure out their plan. Uh, just being fully honest. If they say we're going to run a therapeutic trial for what, well, you know, within the exam, or we're going to run that therapeutic trial within a couple visits and we're going to know exactly what they need. Awesome. If they say we're going to run them through a protocol, that's, that's not functional neurology. That's, uh, that's like every other practitioner. And all these other practitioners are great, but what makes functional neurology unique is we customize everything. Then you want to find out who's doing the work. Um, something that uh, we haven't discussed yet, at least as we record these awesome shows, is who is doing the work with the child. Um, and I know in our office uh, we have a uh, we have a doctor with the child at all times and an intern. Um, so if we have an intern in the office, we are with that intern. Um, do we leave the intern for 60 seconds to go grab a piece of equipment? Absolutely. But are we leaving that intern alone with your child with needs who is completely untrained on how to get them to do work or what to do? Absolutely not. Um, so you want to find out who's doing the work. Is it a technician? Is it a trained technician? Is it a certified technician of sorts? Is it an assistant? Is it an assistant that's been with that doctor for 30 years? Or is it just someone new off the street? Find out who's doing the work. Um, otherwise, I think those are the most important things to ask if you're going to go seek out a functional neurologist. Who's doing the work? How are you going to determine what's going to help? And what are you looking at? Now that we've gone over some questions that you should be asking your provider, what are some questions that you guys have? as practitioners or patients or parents or loved ones of people with uh, special needs or anyone with chronological disorders, please. We're trying to create a community here on the Dr. Alex Show for people to get answers. We want to have specialists on and we want to have patients on and we want to talk about uh, other options to help people out with their chronological disorder. So the best way to reach me is you can either call the office or in the Kansas City, Missouri area, 816 768-6000, and we'll set you up on a complimentary consult, whether you're a practitioner or a patient or a parent of a patient, um, or email dralex, D-R-A-L-E-X, at hmlfunctionalcare.com, and ask away, and if there's anything we can do for you, we will. All right, everyone, the Dr. Alex Show is brought to you by Apex Energetics, apexenergetics.com. 
First of all, to learn more about Apex Energetics, head on over to that website. If you want to get Apex Energetics directly, uh, please call them 1-800-736-4381, or you can shop our online store. You can get to our online store at myhcpstore.com. Username is Dr. Alex. Otherwise, if you'd like to find a doctor that uses Apex Energetics, you can give them a call or go to the website and they'll direct you to a doc in your area that should be doing very good work with Apex Energetics. Apex has just been instrumental in our lives professionally and personally. About six years ago, we went through one of the most hellacious traumas that you can think of. And if it weren't for Apex with their stress support line of products, I probably would not be here. Point blank, period. And in the office, you, making the switch from other lines to Apex Energetics has sped up our results with our patients, supporting them through their healthcare needs, um, probably by 25%, um, if not if not more. And when it comes to Apex Energetics, we just want to remind everyone that we are here to not cure diseases, making claims. We are here supporting people, increasing their healthcare needs, and helping them achieve their goals. ApexEnergetics.com. The Dr. Alex Show is hosted by myself, a nerd, Dr. Alex Nelson. I'm a chiropractor, board certified in functional neurology and childhood neurodevelopmental disorders. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or most any of your other favorite podcast apps. The Dr. Alex Show is a production of Fredcasts. Think, speak, act.